Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Welcome to today's episode of Collisions Current and Critical. I'm sitting here with Dave Robertson and Miss Robin Parsons. How are you two doing this morning? Really good, thanks. I'm fine, thanks. Thank you guys for coming on the show. And I will make mention, as I did off air, that uh, we don't normally have two guests on. So I I had met Dave indirectly, again, through the world of social media. I'd really enjoyed an article that he'd written. We'd reached out and we started going down this rabbit hole. We we had a 15-minute phone call that I think turned into an hour conversation. And through that, we just started exploring what we could talk about. And he very quickly brought Robin's name to the table. And uh, we'll get into our subject matter in a second. But before we do, like maybe quick backgrounds from each of you. Robin, kind of what's your background and what do you do day to day? And then Dave? Yeah. So so my background is that I have a long history in uh, marketing strategy and business intelligence roles, leading teams and so forth. And in those roles, you always find yourself in the front of the room trying to lead a group of people through a conversation. Uh, 2014, you know, I was restructured like many were. Um, I decided to think about what I wanted to do when I was, what was my next chapter? What was my next thing? And I was really compelled by this idea of helping people have a conversation. So I stepped into uh, facilitation as a full-time career. Um, certified as a professional facilitator, certified as a trainer. Um, and that is my business now. I have a full-time facilitator independent. Well, congratulations on the transition because that can be scary. And I, I appreciate what you said. I was restructured. <laughs> so sometimes you know, we make the decisions that are thrust mm-hmm. at us and we, and we do the best. And we let, that is the, uh, that's the entrepreneurial way. It's either you see an opportunity or you're giving no I choice. Sometimes. I didn't have the courage to make that choice for myself. And I'm really grateful that somebody made it for me. <laughs> I really enjoy that reframe, Robin. I like that a lot, actually. Yes, it's what you do with it once it shows up on your desk, right? On your metaphorical desk. Um, and obviously, that. thank you for that. I think this going to be very relevant as we get into our topic for today. And then, Dave, what about yourself? Uh, I have a very similar background to Robin. Um, I've worked uh, in some form of consulting, mostly in, in design or in technology for, for over 20 years. And, um, you know, as I progressed from uh, doing work in kind of usability and human factors, um, I was asked to do more and more work in strategy. And at some point realized that um, actually it's not, you know, my brilliance or my strategy. It's, uh, it's a strategy that I facilitate on the part of the people that I work for, my, my clients. And so I got really interested in, in facilitation and consensus building and, and in creating plans through groups because I found instead of having to do kind of the big reveal, the big show and convince people of my, my brilliance, I'm using finger quotes there, um, by, by working with groups to create a strategy or a plan, um, it, it became, um, better. I think the results were better, but I think it was also easier to act on, you know, so people, people who, who write their plan, don't, don't fight the plan. Um, I, I, we joke in, in our industry of marketing, especially creative, the big reveal, it's really great for Mad Men and like on movies. But if the, if that, if your audience doesn't have their face, see their fingerprints all over that work, the, 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 the odds of them loving it goes down drastically in my experience. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I, I branched out into um, doing a lot of work in public. So I, I've actually um, started 
you know, design projects that were focused primarily on interactive, but I've done work um, on everything from public parks, um, worked on an LRT station, worked on public policy, other things like that. And as I noticed, uh, you know, more and more kind of tension in the groups that I was working with, decided to pursue um, some training in conflict resolution as well. So studied, uh, you know, like Rob and I have a background in facilitation. I'm a certified professional facilitator, um, but also um, completed the conflict resolution certificate program at MRU and use that in, in my work. And then, you know, as we talked when we first met, um, you know, you were asking me about uh, the XPRIZE piece that I wrote for, uh, for CBC, The Road yeah. Ahead. Um, and uh, I write about group dynamics, how groups work together. Uh, I write a little bit about conflict. I write a little bit about consensus. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where that article came from. Well, which since which I'm thankful you wrote because it has certainly inspired me to reach out and you quickly got back to me. And I do love the world we live in in some ways. And we'll think we'll talk about that a little bit today of social media and where we get our information from. And sometimes it's good and it leads to great things. And other times maybe it entrenches us and puts us back into our corners maybe a little bit more than it needs to when it comes to moving forward. So I'm going to start with a bit of a broad, I think the conversation that got, you know, Dave, you and I were having a chat and then we had a whole different chat once this kind of came on the table. My observation, and this is just me living in the world that I live in, uh, that maybe we all live in, but I live in my perception of it, is that there is a polarization, and I'm going to make it, I'm going to say right, left, I'm going to say me versus you, uh, environmental versus resort. Like in Western Canada, there's so much polarization from Western Canada to national. There's polarization. It seems like we've lost the ability to have dialogue. And you said something that I wrote down just as you were talking, consensus building. I feel like there is so much going on right now that is doing the opposite of that, that it's just pushing us into more biases, more I'm right, you're wrong, that I personally believe is paralyzing our ability to move forward. And we can start as a city, as businesses, as a province, as a country, as a nation. Curious of your guys' views on that and being that you live in this world. Is my observation of that, would you agree? Would you disagree? Like, let's just start with the overall, like, is is it getting, quote unquote, worse? <laughs> That's an over, very broad sweeping statements mm. here. I think it's a great question. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to sort of ponder this in advance. And um, my perception, much like yours, is that we are more polarized, that we are sharper uh, in our disagreements, that we are um, more willing to openly disagree um, on the macro stage. And when I work with groups, I see a willingness to want to talk, but I don't see a great skill in how we talk. Ooh, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Dave, thoughts on thoughts? On that, that was, you, you left that nice at the end, Robbie, just kind of set it up. <laughs> I, I, I should be taking the cue here. The coffee isn't quite kicking in yet. Um, <laughs> That's okay. We've got time, David. Yeah, I think, um, you know, so my background was in human factors and user experience for a lot of years. And really my job um, in the early 2000s was, was making e-commerce sites easy to use. So people, you know, basically spent less effort thinking about buying things online. I think what's happened, we've, we've worked hard on making our lives convenient. Um, people who create products and services and sell things to the public. Um, you know, we've, we've tried to make things really easy. Uh, there are still some things that are really hard and uh, conversation is really hard. Uh, and so this morning, 
Um, I, I think a lot of people live with this sort of dilemma or paradox where, uh, you know, we could order something manufactured in Sydney, Australia, and have it shipped to us overnight, um, and that it'll magically arrive tomorrow morning or the following morning. Uh, yet we, we seem to have a really difficult time talking to our neighbors about things like where I park my car or how I keep my yard or how they keep their yard, right? Um, and so I think uh, to some degree, you know, we've created these kinds of levels of, of uh, convenience. We've created these expectations that things should be uh, un, un, uncomplicated or they should be uh, simple, you know, uncomplicated or, or simple. Uh, you know, so this morning I was listening to the radio and there was an interview with, uh, with a local politician talking about a, um, a project. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, we need to be less ideological and more common sense about things, which is a way of trying to simplify things, trying to make it so that, that, you know, the citizens that this person represents, you know, they don't need to think about it much because he's thinking about it and, you know, he's cutting it along ideological and common sense lines. But the problem is stuff is so complicated these days. So what's the difference between a decision that's ideological and common sense? I mean, um, depends on who you talk to, right? It, 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 it's a nice little soundbite. Like when I hear that say, oh yeah, obviously, but you're right. If you actually unpack that, it's not quite as easy as that soundbite might want you to well, think and it I, is. And I think that, yeah. And I think that's a really, I actually think that you hit on something that's really important that um, is that we have complexity society is complex um and we want to solve complex problems simply and we want to solve complex problems quickly and so if i go back to sort of the groups that i work with you know we have a desire to uh, like I, I see super impatience on the part of a client you know we want to do a complete strategic plan and actions and takeaways in six hours right um, and so we see the super urgency where we have, there's such a bias towards action and such a bias towards urgency when I deal with groups, when I, you know, I think in society generally, but, but complexity doesn't respond well to urgency and it doesn't solve quickly. And so when you're in this acute bias towards action and urgency, you don't have, um, you don't, you're not setting the stage to deal with the complexity well and to take the time that it takes to deal with complexity. I'm just curious, the word complexity, has, has the world gotten more complex or has it always been complex, but now we see more of it? Like there's more transparency? Like, and I, I, I can easily go, yes, the world is more complicated than it used to be. Or is it just that we have more optics on more levels than we did before? Because I probably, when you talk to people 20 years ago, they were probably talking about how their world was pretty complex at the time. Has it changed or is that just a relevant kind of term that we're using? You know, one of the using? expressions I've used around that, because I think it's a good question. I don't know really what the answer is, but my you know, one of the statements I've often used is that we have mashed up, you know, as a courtesy of, of technology, we have mashed up culture and language and religion and ethnicity, um, you know, at a pace far faster than we have the skills to actually function in that. And so, you know, we've, we've just had this tsunami of connectivity hit us into the last 25 years. Um, and I'm not sure that we built our skills as people to cope with that in the same speed. Yeah. 
That's really interesting. I was I was having a conversation with someone unrelated. We were talking about motorcycle riding for the, the night. we're talking about riding, and I said, you know, what what does speed do? And then the person was like, what do you mean? I said, it just it reduces options, like because everything starts going so fast. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do next. If you don't, if you weren't comfortable or downhill skiing, pick anything. I'm just picking the nature of the conversation. If you think about how much information and how quickly our world has changed. Our ability to adapt to that—it's been—it's been outpaced again because technology gets things done so much faster. But myself on a human journey, it's only going at the pace that it's going. Maybe it's accelerating, and there's a—but we've got generations to kind of catch up with where we are. But they—they feel like they're maybe out of sync. I like what you—I like how you phrase it. Yeah, I kind of—I kind of agree with Robin in the sense that you know we we keep creating things, uh, technologies particularly that help us to do things faster. You know, more things faster. Uh, and in much more sophisticated, nuanced ways than we ever have been able to. But, you know, the basic wiring that, that we work with every day is still the same wiring. And then, and then I think, you know, um, it could, there are some folks who would argue that a lot, a lot of technological innovation that we introduce is, it also introduces us to new problems. And that, you know, as the rate of change continues, it, it would appear that we're facing more and more problems of greater and greater seriousness uh, at a faster and faster rate of, of succession. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I think where a lot of this conflict is, is uh, coming from is, is fear, is, is people are scared. And when I know myself, I've become in a place of fear. I become a little more obstinate. I become a little more entrenched. I'm like there, that fight or flight kicks in pretty aggressively. And just by the words I use, it's usually fight versus flight. Because, you know, as a leader in a business, I think back to the beginning of COVID where I heard, you know, one week of COVID in running a business was like a normal quarter. So just that as a simple context of how many decisions you had to make in a five-day period of time, you felt like you were literally under fire constantly, which didn't always make me as a leader the most open to dialogue and to, to Robin's point, like, yeah, yeah, okay, we have to solve this because this conversation lasts an hour and I have another Zoom call booked at nine, so let's get this resolved. But that was really not taking into consideration the complexity of the situation. It was just a decision and a timeline and okay, and then the loudest voice or what I heard this years ago, the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion gets to win. That's a polarizing environment to be in where you felt maybe you didn't have a choice as a leader and taking it back to business, just thinking about my own experience through COVID. And there was decisions that had to be made that probably could have been thought through, but waiting two days was too long. And that created a whole nother paradigm amongst yeah. the leadership. Team. Well, and then I, I think and, and that's a little bit of the inverse problem of complexity, right? So with complexity, you have so much, but then you're dealing in fragmentation, right? Um you know, and I think that that's another challenge that we have in our in our mashup is there is so much. We're only dealing with fragments of information or fragments of understanding or, um, you know, a, a small piece of the picture. Uh, and we might be able to go deep on that, but we don't have the whole picture. And again, to get the whole picture takes time, takes um, exchange of ideas, takes uh, patience um, and, and a willingness to sit in that um, time that it takes to gather that whole. And there's not a lot of tolerance for that right now. And by tolerance, I mean, we don't have time. We have this urgency. We have this got to get it done, got a deadline, got another call. Right? Um, and so I think that that's that, that inverse of complexity is, is, is this fragmentation that any leader deals with. I have 17 things on my plate today. Yeah, and I think the other thing that happens too is there's a certain, there's a certain duality. We, we form this duality, right? 
Um, so Robin taught me this about the brain, the brainstem being the source of, of a lot of our decision-making when we're feeling pressed or, you know, when we're scared or frightened or angry or what have you. And I think one of the things, you know, the, one of the, the simple decision-making processes that comes out of that is, is friend or foe, you know, and, uh, um, I think one of the things that we see in our work, uh, facilitation, um, which is a little bit different than mediation and conflict resolution, um, but but the idea of 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 people agreeing to something at the end of the process, um, it takes time for people to set aside that friend or foe response. It takes them a moment to sit down and go, well, you know, we may not agree on on these three things, but in principle, these other two things, uh, are equally important to us. Maybe we can build on that. Maybe we can, we can move forward, which is, you know, part of what really frustrates me about what we're kind of witnessing right now. Right. Uh, at least politically here, here in Alberta. Well, and, and I think so, if I can expand on what Dave's saying, so Dave's talking about this model that we talk about as facilitators, sort of um, these four levels of thinking, and we know that these four levels of thinking correspond to sort of how our brains function, but that brainstem or the back of our brain, the primitive brain, lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, um, that primitive brain takes in information, it takes in stimuli, right? It takes in visual cues, audio cues, sensory cues, and then it forms an emotional response. So that fight or flight that we're accustomed to what Dave is talking about, friend or foe, right? Do I stick around? Are you going to eat me or, are you gonna or not, right? Like, what do I do? Um, right. You go right, <laughs> right back, back to the, the basics, basics right? right? How the computer right? was programmed Absolutely. at the beginning of time. Because if you didn't, if you didn't, weren't good at those two, you probably weren't able to pass right. on your genes to the next generation. Right, those are basic survival instincts, right? Absolutely. And then thought goes to the front of our brain and that, you know, prefrontal cortex where, or the neocortex where, you know, where that processing starts. And so that's where we get that higher order of thinking, that logic, that intuition, that rationality, that, you know, analysis options, decision-making, right? And so, but everything starts in the back of our heads in a very primitive way. And then, you know, to the question of, you know, is fragmentation or is, is, are we getting more polarized? Polarization is happening in the back of our heads. It's forming this emotional response to something. And then quite frankly, um, you know, if someone's advocating, they're advocating to that part of our head first, right? So all thought is forming in the back of our brain first in the fight or flight before it's coming forward. And so to get it to come forward, as Dave was talking about, to, you know, to, to, to have a more um, thoughtful conversation to see, oh, hey, we're not so different, you have to spend time, right? And you have to spend time and you have to create the possibility for us to get through the fight or flight because until people get through there, they're stuck, um, to get through to the front where they can do that higher level of thinking. And so that takes time. So that's so interesting. Even I think of this is so like, I love the just little nuances in our society. When people go, oh, it's a pain in my neck, they touch the back of their neck. But yet when they go, oh, my head hurts, they touch the front. And if you think about just those little nuances of like, well, this is when I'm overthinking it. But honestly, this is when I'm kind of responding, just even how you refer to the front versus the back. And it's always on a look at like how we are little sayings and the things that like, go, hmm, that exists for a reason that, that what's going on there. And like back to Dave's point, I love it. Like I can go online and literally, I did this the other day for a presentation. I can order a toilet in like two minutes and have it delivered to my house tomorrow is such a ridiculous thing. 
but why wouldn't the rest of my life, why, why does the rest of my life take more effort than that? But psychologically, it, it does. So immediately, we've created this. We've trained ourselves one way, but yet because of the speed at which decisions and new information and like global issues are coming at us, it immediately becomes complex just by mm-hmm. sheer volume alone. So we're trying to rely on speed. And, and I think, wow. It's, it feels like we're, we're, we're in a corner and here, guys. There's, there's another factor here is where we think we're thinking, but we're really uh, in that feeling zone. Right. And we, and yeah, yeah. And we, we don't necessarily know that we we're we, you know, we don't want to believe that our feelings are, are ruling us. You know, we're, we're sophisticated. We're intelligent. I see Dave nodding. We're sophisticated. We're intelligent. We're thoughtful. We're educated. Right. So, of course, we're having these these deep thoughts. But so much of it's actually really these these um, embedded responses, these, um, you know, uh, associations and these memories and these uh, emotional reactions. Right. Um, and we discredit that broadly. So we don't, therefore, kind of unpack it in our thinking. Does, does that t- does that stem into kind of the concept of totally. emotional intelligence? And I know that's something that gets interpreted a little bit differently yeah. when you think about, like in my version of my story, I'm very rational and logical, but I also have had enough experiences to know that that's probably not 100% true. Yeah, actually, I think emotional... <laughs> I do think that emotional intelligence, that sort of um, branch of, of, think of, of messaging and thinking right now in, in leadership training is really coming from the fact that we have subordinated the what as facilitators we call our reflective level of thinking, that emotional level of thinking for a long time. We've pretended it didn't exist. You know, it's just business. It's, you know, park your emotions at the door. We're just going to have a conversation. You know, all of those euphemisms we have to say that that emotional level of thinking doesn't matter. Um, so we've subordinated it. If we bring it forward and work through it well, it's really powerful. But when we subordinate it and keep it um, underground, it comes out quite toxic. And we think it's thought, but it's it's really not. So as with both of your experiences, you know, we'll start at the, at the, the micro level, you're with a group in a room and I I've facilitated enough executive groups. This is like a, it's a mini global perspective of what's happening at the time. You've got 10 people in the room and three people on board with this and two are confrontational. And then there's personal biases that are in the room. So how do you guys start from the ground up going, okay, we have identified it. Yes, this is real. And, uh, and it is affecting us on a global level. When it comes back to a group of individuals, how do you guys start to unpack this or set the stage for this consensus building? There's a couple of different ways to talk about this. And, and I know that, that um, Robin is, is really well-grounded in theory. So I'm going to let her talk a little bit about, you know, her work as a facilitator and, and developing consensus. And then I'll talk a little bit about the mediation side of the conflict resolution side, how we do it. So. Oh, you're throwing that ball to me now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's some good smiling coming out. You guys can't see what I see, but I'm like, oh, I feel, I feel like we've stepped right into your wheelhouse. Here. <laughs> I'm making a little reservation at the end there. Uh, I love it. I, I saw, I heard the asterisk. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a process that we use as facilitators. And so, you know, what we try and do is we try and take people through their thinking. So Dave alluded to this earlier. We all go through this thinking, but we go through it at different paces. Um, and so we may not even start in the same place on it, but our, our role as a facilitator working with that executive team that you're talking about is to help them all move through the thinking. And so we'll pick up each person along the way, wherever they might be in their thinking. So what we start with is we always start with, okay, what's the objective level of information? Like what's, what's happening? What do we know? What's the known information? What, what's the, you know, um, what's the facts? What's the thing that happened last week? What does somebody remember? You know, that kind of thing. So we try and level set 
on information first. And then we go to the next step, which is to try and mine that reflective level of thinking or that emotional place. Like, is what you know? What are they reminded of, and what what are they um, what what are they liking, and what are they responding positively to or negatively to? And we try and mine through that because there's really important data to be found in that in that what we call the reflective level of thinking. We have experiences, we have reactions, we have gut instinct, we have intuition, and it's all super valuable. So we go through a process of trying to mine that with the group. And then once we get them through that, then we can go to, okay, options, um, alternatives, analysis, uh, recommendations, whatever we need to do, whatever kind of processing we need to do. And then we can get to a decisional level of, you know, now what? Right. So we, we take a group through that. So we might take a group through that kind of a, a thinking process in an hour. It could be a day. Right. So it'll just it'll expand or contract depending on the kind of the kind of task we're working on. But we're taking them through this thinking process so that they can all think clearly together and come to a decision. And in that process of thinking clearly together, we find out where we disagree and we find out where we agree and everybody gets their say on the table so that when you get to the end, um, we start to build this consensus around the outcome that Dave was talking about. Well, and I like the I like what I heard was a very much a, a process of concession, concession, you know, consensus building, <laughs> concession. maybe concession, because sometimes we've got to get actually that came out. Actually, sometimes you do have to give up a little bit of like, well, I brought this belief into the room, but now I've re- uh, again that willingness to receive new information that might. And I always joke, you can argue with facts, but be very careful when you argue with beliefs. And I heard you kind of like, okay, what's known? alleged facts, then what are my beliefs about these facts? And now I'm, I feel myself moving for different parts of my brain because I'm also taking this back. I'm playing with the room because it's something that I can relate to. But as individuals, this is also a good strategy I'm hearing to even manage our own thoughts as we jump from thing to thing at these hundred mm-hmm. mile an hour mm-hmm. days we have. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so then the mediation thing, I think, Dave, if you want to, I'll flip the ball over to you for that piece of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, to be clear, um, I'm trained in the same sort of facilitative approaches that Robin uh, uses, and I'm a big, big advocate for for what she's just described, which is sometimes called gestalting. Um, but sometimes, um, when a group walks into a room, uh, you know, the, the first job we have is really uh, is evaluating where the group stands even before they enter the room. And that usually takes, you know, that's usually days or weeks before we, we actually conduct the event or hold the meeting. And one of the questions I have to ask clients um, is, you know, so what is the state of the discussion? Is it that the group wants to get together and they want to solve uh, a challenging puzzle together, but, you know, they feel mostly good about it. You know, they feel good about each other. They like working together or they just recognize that maybe they need somebody from outside to mm, stop them from getting distracted or pursuing bad habits like, you know, discussing the weather or whatever it might be that that's where that's what facilitation is about is when a group is willing to work together and they're comfortable working together you can use the process that robin described um to to bring about consensus um but sometimes we work with groups who hate each other's guts And there, I, I, I that feels that feels more relevant to the, the the world of media that we live in, where it seems so extreme. The level of of like um, venom that gets spewed is is at that level. I like how you just said hate each other's guts. It's good not to sugarcoat it at all. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so that there's a set of drivers, you know, there's a set of external drivers. So for example, they've been to court, they're going, you know, one is going, one person is going to sue the other. They've been to court and the, and the judge has instructed them to seek mediation before pursuing uh, any more legal action or, um, you know, a, a party, let's say business partners are uh, splitting up a business uh, and they realize that if they let the lawyers do it, there's not going to be anything left when they're done. So they're pursuing mediation as a less expensive approach. So in mediation, um, you know, the, the technique that I'm, I'm trained in is sort of a four-stage process that is about, first of all, um, setting the terms of engagement, so making it clear what the expectations are for uh, how the dialogue will unfold. So um, basically laying down the rules, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, working with the group to um, working with the group to discuss what's on the agenda. So what issues are at conflict? What issues have brought them, you know, into mediation? And then the last two steps are the most interesting um, and, and the most time consumptive, um, you know, that third step of exploring interests. Uh, so interests are the things that we care about. So for example, a common interest is respect. Uh, I want to feel respected. Uh, or it might be financial. Uh, I want to make sure that my financial resources are protected or that I'm compensated in a way um, that, uh, that I believe that I deserve. Um, and what happens when we talk about, you know, through kind of a, a, a process of probing questions, um, you know, offered by the mediator, what we seek to try and do, we try to reveal interests, the individual interests of people. So one party might feel that they, they've been disrespected and the other, the other party might feel that they've been ripped off. Um, but there might be some, some real common, um, there might be common interests, which include things like friendship or relationships. So it's not unusual to hear people in mediation say, you know, I'm really sorry that we're here because I actually really value my relationship with this person. And here we are, you know, I'm feeling disrespected and feeling ripped off. So what do we do about that? So once those interests are revealed, um, you know, we, we kind of set that goal statement, right? So I'm feeling disrespected. They're feeling ripped off. We want to maintain, we, we want to get back to the way we were before, which was we were, we were friends, right? So then we start a, kind of a brainstorming process. So how do we accomplish that? How do we salvage the relationship? Uh, how do we ensure that one person, the one party feels like they've been compensated properly? How do we make sure that the other party feels that they've been, been respected? It's come up with a list of things that we can do. And so, um, you know, it sounds really simplistic, but um, it's it's a phenomenally successful approach um, that's been discussed for years in books like Getting to Yes and other things. Uh, even in uh, the Alberta justice system, the civil court mediation project has been enormously successful. So they divert, uh, the civil court system diverts a huge number of cases to uh, civil court mediation. And uh, the success rate of mediation is, uh, it hovers in around 65 to 70, 70%. Uh, and those are mediations that are conducted. Um, they're basically sent by the judge to the office, the mediator's office. Uh, the participants are shown a brief 20-minute video explaining mediation process, and then they're allowed to work with mediators for up to three hours. And in some cases, um, you know, as I said, uh, you know, the settle the 
the success rate as measured by the office is 65, 70%. Which to me, I would say in a situation that everyone went in with a degree of confrontation and being on the other side, that sounds, that sounds like a, that sounds relatively high. Like I'm, I was happy to hear that stat. I don't know. Maybe I'm under, I just, it's, it felt more positive than negative. It, it is much, much more positive. And, and actually when, when you look at, you know, fees for court, for operating court, the fees for lawyers, and you look at, you know, the relative cost of mediation, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it, it's an excellent solution. Um, the struggle is there's just not a lot of mechanisms. So that would be referred to as structured mediation. There's actually kind of a process uh, in place. Um, the problem, I think, for for lots of folks is there aren't a lot of other structured media pro, uh, me, mediation processes, right? For for uh, uh, for other situations, so right until until you actually get to that specific level, it's not it's not always where the concept mm-hmm. of it could be relevant. But you like you need to be it needs to be a guided approach to 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 your point, and typically it only arises when things get to that level of severity or there is a very clear issue. So when you think the thing that, say, yeah, I, please I, jump in, Robin. Sorry, my, my, my brain's spinning. Yeah. Well, so so I want to pick up on something there. So what, so when Dave was talking about discovering interests, to, to to get that discovery going, there has to be dialogue. So I'm going to go back to the word you used right at the beginning, which is dialogue, right? And so that that process Dave described takes time, right? You did that typically doesn't happen super fast. That takes time, and the more complicated the issue, the more time it takes. Um, but what, what, what happens in that process that's important is, is the idea of dialogue. And that is where people are just sharing what they think. There's no judgment. There's no rebuttal. There's no, um, there's no sort of correcting. It's just, I am just sharing. I'm just giving you my meaning. And then you give me your meaning. And then we'll create a bigger hole. And then we'll be able to find a solution. And so this is, the, this is the critical piece about dialogue that I think to the point the question you're asking is, are we more polarized? Is that we're not taking time for that free flow of meaning without judgment, right? And so, so, you know, if you actually go back to sort of the actual definition of dialogue, it's flow of meaning. Um, and so the, the way for meaning to flow is that I am suspending my assumptions, I'm suspending my judgment, I'm suspending my rebuttals, and I'm just hearing what somebody has to say. Because, and the more somebody's I hear, the more I can construct a meaningful whole, and then I can, you know, start to respond to the whole, as opposed to the fragment of my own perspective. And so we come back to this idea of the whole and the fragment and what dialogue is trying to accomplish and, and the way we're having, you know, the, the, the way media works right now, you know, we're constantly lobbying for votes or clicks or advertising or, um, you know, opinion or likes or yeses. And so we're not interested in the free flow of meaning. We're really just interested in the advocacy of my viewpoint. Yes, and tapping into your cognitive bias to get more t- get you to spend more time on my platform, so then I can show advertisers I have more eyes, so yeah. that I can sell more media. Yeah, yeah. Not to not like that's not even conspiracy that's theory. Just, that's, that's just how just it the works. Model behind it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Which now with the with such amplitude across so many different platforms, all focusing on their fragmented version of that story. What's well, a wonder? It's what's a wonder we're even functioning at all. To actually, some degree, <laughs> to some degree, yes, right. And so I, I think that. The, the the capacity of dialogue in our society as it's structured right now is quite limited. Yeah. And I think 
um, I want to sort of tackle something that I think listeners, you know, um, um, a challenge that listeners might throw up, which is, well, you know, Robin and Dave are talking about the importance of dialogue and, and you know, having conversations and things, but I just don't have time. And back to the, yeah. but the thing is, uh, I think anybody that's worked on an effective team knows that teams aren't effective, you know, the day they walk into the office, it takes, it takes time. It takes trust. It, it takes relationship building. It takes, it takes practice. Uh, you know, an area I'm really interested in is, um, is quick consensus, how, how groups or teams form, form consensus quickly. And I think people would be surprised to know that, um, you know, Areas like um, like law enforcement, uh, search and rescue, um, hell, airline pilots, even work. They work at some level by consensus. So when the airplane is sitting on the runway, and the captain says to the first officer, uh, "You know, time to take off," um, it, it's actually posed as a question. It's not a command. You know, are we ready to go? Yes we're ready to go. And that's because decades and decades and decades of safety research have shown that when one person is in charge and um, they're giving commands, uh, their blind spots kill people. Um, so what happens, it's interesting in some of these industries, my, my son is, an air, is, a, is, a, is a pilot um, and he's taught me a lot about something called crew resource management, which is really a consensus building technique. It's making sure that everybody is involved in the decision-making process as the airplane is being flown from point A to point B. And of course, pilots don't have a lot of time for dialogue and discussion in the cockpit. So they follow processes that are highly structured. They're, they're heavily trained in forming consensus quickly. Um, asking certain types of questions, asking questions in a certain way that cue each other, that they're looking for each other's input so that they can be efficient about decision-making. And I think, um, you know, at the risk of ranting, one skill we really neglect to teach people are two skills. I guess if you want to separate the two things, we, we, we really don't teach people how to have constructive dialogue uh, you know, when they attend school, um, when they go to elementary or, or secondary school. Um, and, you know, when we look at how professionals are trained in universities, um, you know, who, who, who takes a conflict resolution course, right? Who, who, who takes a decision-making course when they're doing their engineering degree or when they're doing their, uh, their medical degree or their dentistry degree? Uh, I mean, it's changing. Uh, and there's a lot more discussion about about interpersonal dynamics and leadership in those forums, but um, we're still not where we need to be. Well, I think Robin, you you said it. We've minimized that, like we've yeah. we've pushed it down. We've not allowed that that level of thinking, the reflective emotion emotional side. If you want to just be blunt about it, we've devalued it for so long on the. Uh, on the place of valuing logical step-by-step that we're these analytical machines, which we're simply- Well, and and to go even one step further with that, you know, what Dave's talking about, you know, if if you look at the kind of 
conversation archetypes we have today. You know, we have discussion. Well, the the Latin root of discussion is is uh, actually to break apart, to strike asunder, right? Um, if you look at debate, uh, debate is actually to uh, to beat down, right? And so, you know, we debate to win. We discuss to um, uh, to 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 try and make a decision, right? Um, so we have these conversations. You know, we we brainstorm to generate ideas, but we have a lot of conversation archetypes which aren't about the flow of meaning as we talk about dialogue. They are about they have they have a purpose or a goal to them. Um, you know, and if you were a total purist about dialogue, it's it's there's no there's no agenda. There's just a flow of meaning, and we're rarely in that situation where there's no agenda. Oh my God! Who has Robin? Who has time right? for that kind of fluffy? <laughs> I have to tell you a funny. I have to tell you a funny story about that. I was working with a client, and we literally were three minutes into the meeting, and I was just introducing them to the tools because it was an online meeting, and I was just introducing them to the tools, and they were like, "Look, we don't have time for these tools um, because we have to get something done here." And it's like I'm at minute four of a two-hour meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I hear your voice. We need to, we need to fly this plane. We, yeah. <laughs> we, need, we need to fly this plane. Well, aren't you going to teach me how to fly? No, we don't have time for teaching. We have time for flying. So get this thing in the air. <laughs> yeah, back to your back to your you know decades of yeah. process and structures to create safe <laughs> outcomes. Because the consequences in that, I would say the consequences are always that severe. But in aviation, it, it is clear that it's life and death. Where in business, in your day to day, it's a little small deaths that can add up for sure. With that, are yeah, you can you can you can your life could be a plane crash because you're not willing to have these conversations. So that was a weird stringing those two things together. So so, I'm an individual now living this life. I'm 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 banging through my day, going 100 mile an hour. We've got issues coming at us left, right, and center. We've got sound bites on our Instagram and our Facebook and our LinkedIn. We've got the listen to CBC in the morning where they might spend three minutes where I spend 10 seconds on an, on an idea. As individuals, I think from your two perspectives and the, the deep experience that you have, because maybe we can't change the world around us, but we can change how we engage with it. What's What advice or thoughts do you guys have for an individual to then go, you know what? I've heard this. I like what you guys are saying. How do I start then applying it to my life that maybe I can see things with a broader perspective or maybe not jump to conclusions or maybe not feel that the world is bowling me over because I've got so much I just can't deal with. Good question. Um, I think one of the things that comes up for me for that is the unplugging and the slowing down. And I know that that's, I know that we say that all the time on every front. Um, and I'm looking at my kids when I'm thinking about this, but um, that need to just unplug and be still with ourselves is huge because you can't begin to hear what somebody else is telling you until you've taken a bit of time to, to be calm. And then I think the second thing I would say is, you know, ask somebody the question more often, tell me more or say more about that. So you can genuinely hear all of the things that that person says and don't, don't judge it. Don't respond to it. Just receive it. Um, and I think, don't 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 no, no don't don't right <laughs> just 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 be curious about what somebody else is thinking and and receive it and and you will automatically start to broaden your perspective on a lot of things yeah i, I would support that in, in that um when we slow down uh, i think my advice would would be similar to robin's in that that you need to assess look around the, the circle of people that you spend time with, you know, at work or at home or, or with your extended family and, and ask questions about the quality of the relationships that you have. Um, and, you know, 
resist that tendency to distance yourself from people who, who you disagree with. Invite the opposite. Yeah. I think taking the time to ask yourself, well, why, why might that person think that way about this? You know, and asking those questions and exploring those things uh, is, uh, is, is, is really crucial. Um, and I think it's particularly crucial too when you find yourself in conflict. So you know, let's let's just use the old, you know, my neighbor's yard is a mess, or my yard is a mess. You know, my yard is the way it is, and my neighbor doesn't like it, right? You know, rather than getting into um, you know a shouting match, uh, I think it's important sometimes to to. Um, ask that question. So, you know, what is it about my, the condition of my lawn that's important to you? Tell me more about that. Help me to understand what it is that, that, that you're, you're, you're struggling with. Uh, and then I think that the second thing is, I think we also really need to resist the urge to score points. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, you know, one of the dangers of, uh, of, of technology, you know, social media is that it's just another tool for scoring points. And, and I, I mean, we've been doing that for years, you know, we love getting in arguments with our, with our family, you know, with, with family or, or with people who disagree with us. And, you know, we kind of go for, well, frankly, we go for the cheap shots or, you know, we don't, you know, and some social media lets us do that all the time. Right. So, you know, sometimes I'll wander into Twitter and I see the quality of, of dialogue, um, you know, particularly again, you know, pointing to politics, let's say, and, and the, the dialogue on both sides is ridiculous, you know, about, it's not dialogue. No, No. I was based on the definition that you gave on dialogue. That's, I think that's a, it's like it's like the the illusion that the illusion around dialogue is that it's happening. I guess that's the old joke around the music I heard about the, the illusion of uh, the biggest myth about communication is that it happened. I, I think you could apply that same saying with the word dialogue based on the the definition, the reframe you guys have given it given me around it's, it today. It's it's this thing right where back here it, it feels really good to you know shoot off that pithy little thing in Twitter that makes somebody look foolish and things, but but it's it's like a sugar hit, right? It doesn't last. It doesn't last very long. Yeah, you know, we're we're kind of ch- chasing the dragon a little bit on those little those little emotional wins that kind of leave you maybe a little bit hollow in the long run, or certainly you leave you with a limited perspective. I would yeah, say, you know, it's interesting. There's about. a technique yeah. I do with clients uh, sometimes, and we you know and call it um, constructivist listening. And so, you ask one person to just talk, and you may give them a topic or not, um, and they just talk for let's call it two minutes, and the other person just listens for two minutes. They don't respond. They're not visual. They're not doing you know the um, the active listening. There's no paraphrasing none of that right they're just listening and so you give people a two-minute time frame and it's interesting how uncomfortable people are in that like it's like you know you do it the first time like i don't know what i was going to say for two minutes right like they're they're super uncomfortable and the other person's going like well it's just really weird to just sit there and just listen and so you know it tells us sort of how these behaviors we've built about sort of this you know uh, you know, how quick we're responding on everything, you know, how ingrained those are. Because when I do that exercise with people, they find it kind of awkward at first. And then you do another round, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then you do another round, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I heard things I hadn't heard before. And so it's, it's um, you know, it's a bit of, it's like a muscle, I guess, like any other skill, you know, you have to work at it. You have to work at listening to be good at listening. 
Well, I like what you said about being deliberate. Just think about, you know, you're scrolling, you know, like those thumb stoppers as you're scrolling through and getting those reactions of just allowing it to kind of maybe absorb. And just always, I always want to bring it back to like, okay, I've listened to this. It sounds interesting. I'm inspired. I realize that maybe I'm just being quick to respond. How do I then start to apply it? And like, I, taking that time and like, it's easy to hear the word time and go, I don't have it. But when you say two minutes, everybody's got two minutes to just slow down and just absorb, just read the article without any thought of forming an opinion, just read it and absorb it. And again, it sounds easy, but it sounds hard. Going back to that reflective level, right? That, that back of our brain is just going all the time. Right. And it's it's triggering me. Am I responding to this positively or negatively? You know, do I like this or not like this? Do I like this person then or not like this person? Like we're constantly in that state. Well, Dave, I like what you said about you know seeking out. Don't surround yourself with yes people. Don't surround yourself with people that are just going to go. Oh yeah, I totally agree with what you say. Let's just let's just commiserate around this our belief, good or bad, about something. The misery loves company, kind of old saying. But putting yourself in situations. A friend of mine is a very senior level digital marketer, and he said the best thing you can do on your Facebook feed is follow the extremes. Go extreme right, follow that news feed. Go extreme left. He goes one, it'll throw off the Facebook algorithm because it won't know what to serve you, so you don't get the bias but it also forces your brain to go, okay, well, maybe I don't agree with either of these, but maybe I can start to formulate. And he kind of gave me the whole, like, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. He goes, you're also the average of the five feeds you follow the most. And I was like, ooh, I did a little cleaning of my Instagram account after after yeah. that news was and, dropped. And I'll just put it on there. But forcing, forcing yourself into that space. This is one of the reasons why Dave and I enjoy each other because we don't agree on everything. <laughs> The facial expressions kind of told me that a little bit, but I was let the audience kind of sort it. Yeah. But that's what makes for that what makes for the best, I think, a better outcome because you're so willing to have dialogue and you both speak of each other like, oh, you know, they, I love the perspective. But to hear that there's that slight disagreement, but the willingness to stay in it, that's exciting. And I think that alone is a lesson we can all learn, which it's easy to run away from it because it's it's kind of well, uncomfortable. I'll often say that Dave will see be. things it differently than I do, and that'll be good for me. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and I think um, our, our approaches are very different too, in the sense that, um, you know, Robin has a much, much stronger theoretical base, um, you know, explores, explores the, the scholarship much more than I do. I just throw myself at stuff and try things and, and. Um, You're much more creative. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that can, that can be a, I, I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, especially when it comes to stuff like accounting, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything has its has this yes. And any strength can be a weakness, and vice versa. But but it's interesting um, that uh, we you know as a, uh, when we work together, um, we tend to focus on the things that we can move forward. So while our conversations about politics, you know, don't always move forward that far. Our, our, we'll, we'll save this. Yeah, we'll save this one for another right? podcast, perhaps. I'll give you a couple hours. Let's demonstrate like, clarity. <laughs> um, yeah, let's actually let people eavesdrop on a real situation where that there are different camps showing up to hopefully reach some kind of. Uh, but the uh, you know the the piece around focusing on on interests and moving those things forward so uh, you know i know we collaborate on projects together and so we have uh, we have um 
a, uh, a, a financial and a reputational interest. We, we share financial and reputational interests on the projects that we work on. And um, we like to be seen as a, in a certain way as dialogue professionals. And, and we know that by working together, we can advance each other's reputation and we can re- advance our, our business success uh, as, as opposed to, to working separately or, or even, even competing against each other. Right. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's really super valuable. Okay. That's, that's important. Yeah, I mean, when you think about going into a situation where you don't know the other person, you, you guys have the rapport, you've built the professional dialogue and you have a shared outcome. It's when you think about rolling into a situation where you don't know the other side, leaving enough space to be open to the fact that their perspective might be different than yours, but it still has value versus going to friend info right away. And it's so easy to do that. And I love to grab the back of your head and go like, oh, friend or foe and think about it because it's happening and you're not even realizing it. Like the, the illusion it's is that it's totally a conscious not. thing. It's not. It's happening before it's you even realize what's happening. Yeah, yeah and it, it had to be because you had to access whether right? the tiger was going to eat you or not in, re- I, in I, real I, time. Am I the main course? <laughs> yeah, it's, or do I just have to run faster than my buddy? Like what's going on here? Like what situation am I doing? And, you know, and that's, what was that? I, I read one the other day and they were talking about this thinking fast, thinking slow. And it was like the bear walks into the camp and the one guy starts running with the other guy slowly starts putting on his shoes. And the guy's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. So it was a weird kind of analogy around the thought process of, well, I'm just going to put my shoes on and get set up for what I need to do next versus panicking and running through the woods barefoot. It, it resonated with me as a different version of an old joke I've heard when I moved to Alberta about the whole bear, the bear situation. But I think it's interesting when you're in a situation, take the moment to put on your shoes. Take the moment to go, what's going to set me up to deal with the situation the most effectively versus just in, indulge in a reaction, which let's be honest, emotionally can be fun sometimes. And I think almost addicting that little hit back to what uh, I think Dave said, yeah. it's like that little sugar. I like the, the analogy about taking time to put your shoes on. Thanks for that. Yeah. and tie them nicely because you're going to need it (laughs) the the thought of experiment you know so so even just noting that response right particularly the faux response the oh i don't trust that person well you know that's one thing if they've got you know a club in their hand right uh it's a different thing if you're sitting in a conference room and and if if you're sitting in a conference room you've got time to stop and 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 perform kind of a thought experiment with yourself which is okay so why am I reacting that way? What's going on? What are they saying that I'm reacting to? And, you know, what if they weren't my foe? What if they were something different, right? So, yeah, well, possibility possibility language versus already assessing it. Yeah, it. you know, there's some interesting work. Robin, you've, you've read Kahane, you've read Adam okay. Kahane's, um, oh gosh. Meeting with the enemy or collaborating with the enemy? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask any books or resources that you guys would really recommend because I know myself. I get excited about topics and I want to dive down the rabbit hole. Any books, or that's obviously an, an yeah. author that you guys are, are a, a thinker. I think there's probably a lot of thinkers in this yeah, space. Yeah, you know. So he, uh, Dave's just talked about Adam Kahane, um collaborating with the enemy, and that's a pretty interesting book. I mean, his his it is a great title he, for starters. Know, the kind of he'll, his opening is like this is kind of the school of hard knocks um but you know his his position is is you know sometimes you have to work with people you don't like with or agree with because that's what's needed so figure that out right so i i appreciated that one a lot um one that i've just made my way through which is david bohm on dialogue which is you know bohm was a nuclear physicist or something like that who then started 
take applying the principles of atoms and molecules and whatever else he works with to dialogue, right? And so he come, so the book is dense, um, but really, really interesting, right? So really interesting. So if you're if you're curious about that, I mean, he's one of the, sort of the original thinkers on that. Uh, those are two that I like. One that I love that I think Dave, you introduced me to is Edgar Schein's book, Humble Inquiry. And Edgar Schein says, the world is complicated. The world is complicated. And as leaders, you can't possibly know everything. So you need to learn to ask good questions and humble questions because it's coming from a leader. Back to being, being, yeah. being, being And so curious. those are three books that for me, um, you know, well, they've got them right in front of me, but um, yeah, they're books that I found quite interesting. So, Yeah. I like I I appreciate giving actionable because this is something that, you know, you can hear something that gets you thinking, but it, it is it is a life's work to be good at this. I would say not to minimize it or not to sorry make it feel daunting, but you get to practice. You get to practice every day. Oh, you know another thoughts, one that's right? great is Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. If you want to sort of that whole how we think, um, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one. You can listen to it on Audible too. You don't have to buy it. Daniel Kahneman and his whole story. Super that's a whole interesting. interesting yeah. All, all right. Yeah, that's a. I've stumbled into a book. I don't remember what it was about. And it was featuring him and uh, who was his partner uh, in crime for years. Your speaking partner. Yes, Amos, and talked about their whole story. It was. It's yeah. a really. It's super intriguing to then see where they've where they both arrived mm-hmm. and kind of even their dynamic. But yeah, that's sorry, totally. we went way down the nerd <laughs> rabbit hole on that one. But that that one, uh, I that's I got introduced to that by kind of reading their co biography and then really discovered who they were and the work that they'd both done, which was incredibly interesting. Anything you'd recommend, Dave? Dave, anything, anything on your on your must on your must read or even a, online or anything that you guys follow in terms of you know even weekly inspirations around being better at this well robin hit 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 my hit list so um she, she grabbed I, she went first no i i, I would I, I i always uh um point back to to fisher and yuri's work you know particularly getting PS, just in terms of understanding you know the real basics and there's, of, and there's uh, the third side by your uh as well he's written another one. Oh, yeah. has he okay um you know so anything that that Sort of interest, you know, introduces people to, to interest-based conflict resolution is is valuable. Is valuable. To me. Um, yeah. I thought I had it here in front of me, but I don't. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I appreciate both your passion. Clearly, you're both incredibly passionate on on this topic, and it's one of these topics that I love because it you, you like it's never done, and you're never you've never perfected it as an individual. You go through life, and you're you evolve in your own relationships, your seniority, the amount of issues that are now important to you, depending on where you are politically, or even your. I love what you said, like right down to like how do you deal with your how do you deal with how do you talk how do you have a dialogue let me use the right words how do you have a dialogue with your neighbor about mm-hmm. where somebody parks their car mm-hmm. like it's as personal as that right up to my views on on wexit to speak on something that's you know that'll light everyone's emotions up mm-hmm. real quick when you say a word like that in a, right. in a dinner party <laughs> growing up growing up growing up in quebec through the uh, the referendum and some of those things those are very that nothing was nothing rational about that for a while, for quite a period of time living in those environments when you get things that are that polarizing for people versus the car parked in front of my house that shouldn't be equally as polarizing i would say if, based on some of my neighbors um 
thank you both for being open to it. And I think that this is something we can, we can continue and it feels like there might be, it might be a part two, because this is a, this is a lifelong um, journey. Any, um, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys? If someone's like really inspired and they want to go, Hey, I, w- I really want this team to come into like my work, my office, or even personally, what's, uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Oh, um, well, you can email. <laughs> it's very hard. Parsons.robin at gmail.com. There's <laughs> my website, Perfect. which is rpfacilitates.com. But you, Dave? Um, same, same way. Uh, email's great. And, um, uh, I love, I love hearing from folks. Um, I was working on an article this week and actually had a, a backcountry ski guide call me out on a premise and I love debating stuff in email, discussing stuff in email. So, uh, Dave, D-A-V-E at, um, mystery that's spelled M-I-S-T-R-I dot C-A. Excellent. Thank you both for that. And I love that people remember in the old days, nobody wanted to give out their email address. It was this coveted thing. And now we kind of throw it out there because it's out there anyways. And it's like, no, and, and to, 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 to live the, the values of what you both expressed today, your openness and willingness to have dialogue, no better than being like, Hey, just reach out to me. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to chat. And I, I do love when people, when guests are open to that. So thank you both for, for being true to your, to yourselves in terms of today. And I really appreciated this dialogue. You gave me a lot to think about. So thank you both for taking the time. 